Penny for your thoughts. You ever hear that before? Oh, well, inflation. A dollar for your thoughts. <laughs> I used to hear that a lot when I was a kid, penny for your thoughts. And, uh, you know, we, sometimes you want to know what people are thinking, what, what they got on their mind. Um, and so, you know, we just got through praying for Ukraine. So maybe there's some thoughts related to that. Or, you know, you've got some kids and you're concerned about them. There may be some thoughts there and uh, all sorts of things. Your thinking matters. What you think about matters. How you think matters. Um, I don't know if uh, you guys have been coming for the last couple of weeks or not. Some of you have. Uh, those of you that have been part of our church for a while, um, I have mentioned the motto of our church several times in recent weeks. We did a, a six-week series on love, and now we're doing a series on living life well, which is basically the motto of our church live well. Um, last week, we worship, and we're called to offer up our bodies as living sacrifices to God. And I made the case that in order for you to offer a good sacrifice, a healthy sacrifice, you really need to work on having a healthy body. Now, not all of us have uh, you know, the same genetics, and some of us have some things we're struggling with and so forth, but are you taking care of your health? Are you working toward becoming a healthier and more fit person? Not just so you can look good and feel good. Those are good outcomes but so that you can offer your body as a living sacrifice. Well, that's Romans 12.1, right? Uh, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you offer your bodies as living sacrifices to God, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual service of worship. Or some translations will say your reasonable service of worship. Remember that right now, spiritual and reasonable, uh, they are interchangeable in that context. It's just reasonable. It just makes you this body, he gave you this life, and, and we move around in a body, as I said last week, like a vehicle. And uh, you, you know, you can't do anything. You might say, well, I'm a very spiritual person, but you can't do anything spiritual without your body. You really can't, right? Even when you're praying and you're sitting still, you're doing that in your mind and you're doing that in your body. So your body's very important. It's not unimportant. This week, I want to talk about your thought life. Um, and what we do is we just simply move down to the next verse in Romans, which says, uh, the, the first verse ends, this is your reasonable service of worship to offer your body's living sacrifice. And then it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may test and approve what God's will is, his perfect and pleasing will. So the only way you're going to know God's will is if you allow God through his spirit to transform your mind, to change your mind. So really, last week and this week uh, could be summed up with Romans 12, 1 and 2. It has been said, you are what you eat. If we think about last week, right? I didn't use that phrase, but have you heard that phrase? You are what you eat, okay? Which is supposed to encourage you to eat healthier. So they, you know, that was something that, that was coined going all the way back to the 70s when I was growing up, you are what you eat. But I think it is more accurate to say, you are what you think, in fact, there is, uh, appropriately, a passage in Proverbs uh, that is speaking about eating in the presence of somebody who is very, very wealthy and controlling what you eat. And right in the midst of that, um, that passage about eating, it says, um, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. I'm sorry, I memorized it in King James, right? As a person thinks in their heart, so they are. Now, there are other translations of this that relate more to the context of the passage, but I think that phrase is accurate. You are what you think. As a person thinks in their heart, 
So they are. Oh, thinks in their heart. Now see, oftentimes when we think of the heart, other than your blood pumper, when we use that in a metaphorical sense, we often consider that it references our emotions. Now next week, God willing, um, I am going to talk about your emotional life. And that's very important as well. It's important that you get it in perspective, that you handle those emotions properly, that you understand how this all works together. But this week, your, your thought life, you are what you think. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. There is, there is often uh, a synonymous use between uh, mind and heart. The word mind is not really used in the Old Testament. It is often the heart. This is the, the, the center, the locus of uh, the, the human being. And so they considered that you know, the, the thoughts come up out of the heart. Well, really, I think all day long, or you listen to uh, these guys argue about sports all day long and which team is the best and so forth. That's what you're filling your mind with because that's what you're feeding yourself, Right? Um, you may like certain, a certain style of music, right? I don't know what it is. Uh, I have a lot of different, I have an, an eclectic taste in music. But certain styles are shot through with some terrible, terrible themes. And I'm not going to pick on a particular style of music because virtually every style of music, if it's a secular style of music, has these, these terrible themes. And that, in the process of enjoying that music, you're getting these thoughts fed to your mind. Now, the power of music is, is that it carries this in a more permanent way, right? You remember lyrics to songs. I can remember when I was uh, first getting into ministry in the 80s, and I was working with teenagers a lot. And just like today, where I try to get our, our kids to memorize uh, scripture verses in karate, I was trying to get teenagers to memorize the Bible. Now I can't do that. And yet they could recite these lengthy songs. I mean, ridiculously long songs with these lyrics, right? Or, or you know, rap lyrics and so forth. And many of them were absolutely terrible. You, you're feeding your mind that, and that's what's going to fill your mind. And that's what you are going to become. So it's important that we realize that there are a lot there are a lot of junk ideas out there. Right? And so the way I would define a junk idea is something that does not hold any eternal value. So that means there's a lot of things that aren't necessarily bad, they're just worthless, right? And by the way, that's number 3 if you're following your outline. Okay? Um Junk ideas simply don't hold any eternal value. So you can just sort of waste your life thinking about foolish things, superficial things, meaningless things, right? Um, mental junk examples, right? Uh, lust, we, you know, we're, we're driven by lust, this, this desire to fulfill these, these, these bodily feelings that we have. Um, Bloodlust, you, you didn't know that was a thing perhaps, but video games give this uh, expression all the time. You know, why are you playing video games, the, 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 the first-person shooter games? Well, why are you playing that game? Well, it's fun. Stop. It's cool. Stop. You haven't answered the question, right? Bloodlust, this desire to, to hit them and get them back. And I am just as tempted. I don't play video games, and I'm not tempted to play video games, but I'm just as tempted to enter into that with a kind of a, a vengeance mentality because there's so much evil in the world and I want evil to be destroyed, right? And so you see someone personifying evil, right? Now that's, that's Vladimir Putin. 
Honestly, I mean, on a personal level, I really wouldn't mind if he just died today. That would be awesome. Um, but, I, you know, God's got a better plan. We have these ideas that, well, you know, if this is a problematic person, then we just want them removed from our life. And so when we're playing these video games, we're, we're shooting these people. Or I read a variety of different novels. And, you know, I like courtroom drama novels and I like police procedurals and all these sorts of, uh, of books. And there's always that element of the good guys versus the bad guys in these. And, you know, inevitably there are people that are getting, that are getting shot. And, you know, I have to look at, okay, uh, am I somehow giving vent to some sort of bloodlust. Well, that's, that's junk. It doesn't have any eternal value. Um, you know, honestly, I think that it is important for you to take care of your family, right? But there is a preoccupation with business, earthly, worldly business and making money that is just junk. It has no eternal value. I, I posted something yesterday uh, and uh, had I known I was going to mention this, I would remember the, the player's name, but there's a soccer player that comes from a poor, uh, poorer nation in Africa who makes somewhere north of $10 million a year. And he was made fun of on social media because he was, this is a, a wealthy individual, right? A, a high profile individual, good soccer player, apparently. I'm not a soccer fan, but, uh, but he was made fun of on social media because it was noted in a picture that he was carrying around a cracked iPhone 11. And people were like, you know, this guy could afford whatever he wants. He's got a cracked iPhone 11. And so he responded to that by saying, I don't buy all this stuff. I don't need to buy all these cars and mansions and so forth. What he does is he takes his money and he plows it back into his village and his country and he helps people and he builds things. You know, that's fantastic, right? So if you were taking your capability, if you have that capability to make money and turning that around to, to help people, then business suddenly, something that is just, uh, you know, has temporal value uh, and is going to go away when you go away, that suddenly has eternal value because now you're taking that money, right? And you're investing it in people who God values above all things, right? So in the end, uh, number four, feed your mind with healthy thoughts, just like you need to feed your body with healthy food. And that was, you know, what I was trying to get at last week. I'm trying to encourage you to eat healthy and, you know, eat more vegetables. I mean, some of y'all don't like vegetables and you need to eat some vegetables. You really do. We need to eat healthier. We need to fill our mind with healthy thoughts. Listen to this uh, verse from Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, think about these things. See, so what this means is, and we're going to get to this a little more in a moment, is you need to take control of your thoughts. You need to stop just letting your thoughts uh, freely flow around in your head, uh, letting thoughts come in and, and, and letting them be driven by every wind of doctrine and desire and take control of your thoughts and focus the energy of your thoughts to these things, whatever is honorable and right and pure and lovely and commendable, what is excellent and what is worthy of praise. Push, put, put those types of thoughts in your head, all right? Um, if you're not doing that, and many of us are not always doing that, we're not taking control of our thoughts, then Jesus' very first message when he was done being baptized by his cousin John, 
All right, he went into the wilderness and he endured temptation from the devil for 40 days. And then he came back and he began to preach. Do you know what his first message was? Very short, wasn't very long. You might say, oh, the Sermon on the Mount. No, it was shorter than that, quite a bit. Here it is. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you know what repent means? In Greek, it's metanoia. Say that word. It means to think again, to rethink. It's a mental concept. You see, you are going to act in accordance with how you think. So I have paraphrased repent as change your thinking, change your ways. There's another word for repent, not the one that Jesus used at this point in time, but it means to make a 180 degree turn, to turn your back on one set of behaviors and actions and attitudes and begin to walk toward another set of actions, behaviors and attitudes. Here's the reality. You never commit an action without thinking about it first, even if it is just for a fraction of a second. You may think, well, just react it. But there was a whole lot of thought that went in before that reaction. This is what we try to teach uh, in karate. I want people's reactions to be so ingrained and so well-trained that they simply respond in a way that enables them to defend themselves, defend their family, and so forth. Because if I have to have a lengthy thought process regarding a situation where I'm being threatened or my family members are being threatened, then uh, I'm already dead. I'm already going to get punched. I'm already going to get taken out. I have to learn to react. But see, there has been a commitment to train and a thought process leading up to that, and there's a fraction of a second where I'm thinking before I act, right? So let's shift this then. Now that we realize that we need to control our mind and that we need to direct our mind toward these praiseworthy things, whatever is valuable in God's sight, essentially, then I think it is probably wise for us to look at this concept of temptation, right? Um, Believers are constantly tempted to doubt God's truth and believe lies, right? That's what believers constantly, and by the way, if you didn't get number five, I didn't, I didn't put everything under number five. Your mind needs to be aligned with God's truth and not the lies of this world, right? When I realize that my mind is not aligned with God's truth, when I am tempted, I'm pulled, I'm drawn to think about other things, that means I'm tempted and I'm drawn to do other things. And so I need to address this concept of temptation because if I want to do right, I won't get you to raise your hand because in church, probably everybody would raise their hand. You can just sort of uh, answer rhetorically in your mind. Do you typically, do you usually want to do what is right rather than what feels good or what feels right? See, we use that word right in the wrong way when we say, well, it feels right. What is right is what God says is right, amen? Not what I think or feel is right, unless my thinking and my feelings are aligned with God's word. God designed the world. He designed you and I, and he is the one who has established the moral law. So what God says is what is true. What God says is what is right. Amen? So if I'm going to do what is right, then I'm going to uh, be tempted because throughout the day, there are plenty of options and opportunities to do what is wrong. Temptation of any kind, and this is number seven in your outline, is essentially a lie. It's a lie. It's promising that something, some desire that you have is good, even though God's word teaches that it is bad. And often there is this debate, and this is what Satan does, right? 
when he lies, his goal is to convince you that what you have chosen to believe is actually inaccurate or outright wrong. What did Satan say to Eve when he was speaking through the serpent in the garden? The first thing he said to her, she's admiring this forbidden fruit. And the devil says to her, did God really say that you may not eat from any tree in the garden? Well, he really took the whole thing out of context and was trying to make God look like a big meanie who is keeping her from eating from any tree that she wanted to eat in the garden. And what God really said was, and she accurately responded, was that, no, we can eat from the trees of the fruit in the garden. We just can't eat from that tree or that fruit or touch it. Now, God didn't say you can't touch it, right? But he did say you can't eat of it. And so the devil proceeded to say, that's not even true. See, God really knows. And then what he did is he, he called into question how Eve received this information because he was trying to change God's nature by saying, no, God knows that when you eat of this fruit, it will make you like God, knowing good and evil, right? So he completely lied to her, switched everything around, got her to where she believed, well, you know what? God wouldn't deny that to me. That's not really wrong. That's what we do. That's what our whole culture is doing right now. No, that's not really wrong. That's just those old Bible beaters telling you that. That old, that old dusty book, that's, that's not really wrong. Listen to what we tell you. That's what is right, and that's what is wrong. And so we completely switch things around. And the more you gravitate toward the culture, the more you're going to put Christ uh, behind you. We have an anti-Christ culture today that is filled with all sorts of lies. Now, I'm not going to get into specifics. I don't want to, uh, to get into some uh, backwater here and, and discuss some hot-button issue that is going to make somebody angry or whatever. I just want to establish clearly that we need to fill our mind with God's truth. We need to recognize that temptation of any kind is essentially a lie it's promising a particular desire that you have is good, even though God's word teaches it is bad or wrong. If you're being tempted, though, now here's the good news. If you sense that it is a temptation, it's a struggle, it's a pull, that's not a bad thing. Because it means that you have not given up on God's definition of what is right. You're still dealing with this battle, right? Somebody who doesn't feel tempted, they just rush headlong into what uh, a biblical Christian wouldn't do. They're not feeling any sort of pull. There's no cognitive dissonance, right? There's no sense of guilt. There's no battle in their mind because they simply believe, well, this is just what you do. This is what I do, okay? But if you are being tempted and you sense that struggle, that's not bad. That's good. And just like any struggle, if you continue to, to battle that through and battle that out, it will make you stronger. It may be painful, but as we said last week, or I quoted the scripture last week from Hebrews 12, 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but in the end, it yields the peaceful fruits of righteousness. Anybody that has ever worked out with weights or done something difficult with their, you know, with their body and so forth, and you feel that soreness, then you recognize this. Yeah, that wasn't, that, well, that wasn't pleasant at the time. But then when you receive the benefit from it, you're glad. So with temptation, right? Um, the scripture teaches us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and have, uh, we've been studying 1 Corinthians uh, in my Wednesday evening Bible study. So we covered this a few weeks back. 
But 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, or common to people. I memorized it in an older translation. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to bear, but will with the temptation provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. Yes, sometimes you have to endure temptation. We have to push through temptation. Now, my friends, this is why we can't dull our senses. You are more likely to give in to temptation when you have dulled your senses with drink, with uh, drugs, with anything that will keep you from being sharp, mentally sharp. Okay. Now, honestly, this can happen when you, you know, are just tired after a really, really long day, or you're very, very hungry and you're worn down and you're beat down. You have to be aware that those are moments when you can be drawn into temptation, when you just don't want to fight. You just don't want to give in. In fact, there have been studies that have shown that willpower has a limit. There are limits to your willpower. And this is also why we need to rely on the Holy Spirit and allow him to, to give us the strength that we need in those trying times, those difficult times, right? Uh, because many of the things that we're tempted to, uh, to leave behind, love, joy, peace, patience, God, uh, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those are all fruits of the Spirit. If I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to fill me, then I am going to have the strength to pursue those. And that's what the promise that I just offered you uh, states, that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are capable of bearing up under, but he will provide the way of escape with that temptation. So that means that I have to have faith if I'm gonna get out of it, all right? Number eight in your outline, temptation always begins in your mind, right? Just like I said, an action starts with thinking first, even if it's a fraction of a second, Temptation always begins in the mind. The heart and mind, as I mentioned earlier, are often synonymous, right? Listen to what Jesus said about this. Matthew 15, 18 through 20. But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. That could mean the mind, right? And those things defile a person. They make them unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, acts of adultery, other immoral sexual acts, thefts, false testimonies, and slanderous statements. These are not the things that defile the person. These are the things that defile the person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the person. That's what he was debating over the Pharisees with. So what defiles, what defiles us, what puts us in that position where we're ready to give in, where we're ready to sin, is what goes on in our mind. I'm telling you, the battle is here. If you win the battle here, you win the battle here. So that's why I need to control what's coming into my mind, right? Number nine, when temptation comes, resist. It is only sin if you give in. Why don't you say that last phrase? Say, it is only sin if you give in. Man, that's important. Because sometimes I'm being tempted so strongly, I just feel like, well, you know, I've already blown it. Listen, look at what I'm thinking about right now. So Martin Luther, the uh, reformer, not Martin Luther King Jr., uh, the, uh, the civil rights leader, but the one who Martin Luther King Jr. is named after, the reformer Martin Luther, uh, has a famous statement about temptation, and he likens temptation to a bird. And he said, the bird may land upon your head, but you do not allow it to make a nest of your hair. Temptation is going to come, all right? You may get angry, and you want to just smack somebody, right? You may want to say something 
you know, you may have a lustful thought and you don't even know where that came from. You're thinking, what, what, where is this coming from? I wouldn't do that. But see, if you sit there and entertain that, right, and allow it to build this, uh, this demonic stronghold in your mind, then eventually you might end up committing some sort of an act that relates to that, okay? Um, there is a, a good passage related to uh, temptation here also, um, and this is in uh, James 1, 14 through 15. James, Jesus' half-brother, um, said this, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full-grown, full brings forth death. Wow. It all starts here, okay? Actually, it even starts before that. It starts with that desire, and that desire is a feeling. Again, next week, we're going to talk about your emotional life. We're going to talk about feelings and how feelings can pull us into wrong thinking and wrong actions, right? So very quickly, to conclude our message, oh, you didn't think I was going to end this fast, did you? Because huh? I'm going to keep your attention. I want to keep you coming, all right? These are healthy habits for your mind. Letter A, read and meditate on God's word. What does meditate mean? It means to chew on it and get all the juice out of it, okay? It means to turn it over in your mind. Really think about it. This is why I, uh, songs like the ones that we have sung here at church earlier are so important because these lyrics can bring the, this truth of God into your heart and into your mind. And as you sing it, you're, you're really meditating. You're working on it, okay? As you think through things, when I'm doing these sermons, it's always, uh, or preparing these sermons, I should say, uh, it's always a blessing for me because I have to meditate on this. I don't write these notes right away. I'm usually meditating on this and thinking through it and chewing on it and, and turning it over in my mind so that I can come up with something that I pray will be helpful for you. So, uh, I send out daily Bible verses. If you go to uh, our flock note, and you can find this on our, we our website, uh, lifefulchurch.com, but you can sign up on flock note and you can click daily Bible and you'll get a daily Bible verse from me that has the link so that you can read the whole chapter. Or ideally, more of you are accessing the Bible app right now. There are reading plans on the Bible app. Hit one of those reading plans. Some of them are as short as five days. Some of them, it's the you know, entire year long. But you need to be in God's word every day because that God's word is what the Holy Spirit is going to use to transform your mind. B, refuse to listen to sources promoting godless lies. That's where we're getting into trouble, right? If you spend all your time listening to the news, and I don't care if it's CNN or Fox News, then you're getting a particular viewpoint, an editorial viewpoint. You're getting a lot of propaganda. You're not getting God's word. So we need to steer clear of exposing ourselves constantly to those who are teaching something or speaking something that is contrary to God's uh, truth and God's word, right? Um, the scripture says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their actions are vile. There is no one who does good. Listen, I will respect anyone, and I respect someone who has an honest doubt, okay, over God's existence. So I'm not trying to excoriate those who would uh, think of themselves as atheists. But I'm telling you, I am utterly uninterested in engaging in atheist literature, right? 
The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. By biblical definition, the person who has sold himself or herself to atheism is a fool. And I don't need to enter into that. I want God's wisdom, right? Now, that doesn't mean that I can't have some really healthy and interesting discussions with those who are uh, claiming to be atheists. But I'm simply not going to expose myself. And this is something that I've noticed about many of the books that I read, is there is a... um, there is a predilection toward atheism. There is, a, uh, there is often uh, acrimony or, or outright contempt toward God, and it makes me want to stop reading the book. I'm like, if the main character in the book, I, now if the main character in the book is, is dealing with issues and working through things, and then I can keep reading, right? But if this person is just, a, they just hate God, and da-da, I, I'm not, I don't want to read that book anymore. I'm not interested. I don't want that. I don't want that in my mind. I don't want that in my heart, right? So refuse to listen to sources promoting godless lies. Letter C, reject passive thinking. Take control of your thoughts day and night. See, that's probably our biggest problem is we've, been, we've come up in a consumer culture, and so we just kind of, we, we let things just get sold to us. We let things just get pushed to us, right? It's like the grocery counter. You know, you walk up to the grocery counter, and you have all this stuff that's right there, and you didn't even know you wanted that. You're like, oh, I want one of those. Oh, I want one of those too, okay? It's all these commercials that we see in here. You know, we didn't even know we wanted that particular thing, but suddenly we need it because we got sold that. Take control of your thoughts. Direct your thinking. It's very, very important, right? Reject passive thinking. Be an active thinker. And finally, letter D, remain focused on God and what is good. And the best way to do this I've already talked about meditating on God's word, but the best way to do this is pray without ceasing. First First Thessalonians 5.17. You think all day long, all right? We have uh, self-talk in our lives constantly. You're constantly talking to yourself in your mind. And what I would say, if you're gonna pray without ceasing, all you need to do is open that self-talk up and turn it into God talk, right? Finally, let me conclude with this. Earlier, I I quoted the verse, uh, uh, you are what you think, um, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. But listen to this caution from Proverbs. This is Proverbs Proverbs 4, 23 through 26. Watch over your heart with all diligence. You know what it could easily say? Watch over your mind with all diligence. For from it flow the springs of life. Rid yourself of a deceitful mouth and keep devious speech far from you. See, don't expose yourself to lies or you'll repeat them. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Note, it begins with the heart and mind, right? So today, I really want to encourage you to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and allow him to do some house cleaning in your mind. I hope that there has been some conviction here from the Holy Spirit, and I hope that you make the necessary changes so that your your thinking can be clear and your thinking can be concise and your thinking can be clean and you will be a far happier person. Amen?